My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is Noelle Janka. Noelle is a dear friend of mine who I've known for years, and she's recently written a book called Rebel Healing, Transforming Ourselves in the Systems That Make Us Sick. This conversation is a wonderful companion piece to the previous episode I just had with Raj Sisodia exploring his new book, Awaken. That book, Awaken, was a deeply intimate journey of healing and self-discovery that Raj went on, uh, and it really dove deep into the power that's possible if any one of us decides to go on a journey of healing. Noelle also explores that in her book, Rebel Healing, but she takes a, a deeper look at the systemic reasons why we're sick. You know, often in the world of healthcare and wellness, there's this kind of red herring debate between uh, what we might call Western medicine or acute medicine and the sort of what some people call alternative medicine. Other people refer to it as original medicine, you know, that back and forth between modern and ancient practices. And what I love about Noelle's book is she doesn't get too caught up into that that debate, but instead looks more deeply at the the question of why are so many of us getting sick? And you may have heard someone sort of offhandedly say, oh, like, healthcare system in the U.S. is totally broken. Noel unpacks that. What, what's actually broken? Why is it that even if a particular form of medicine or healing could help you, it's so freaking hard to get it. And what does it mean to understand that we do have agency in our lives? We can take responsibility for our health and well-being. We can make choices that are good for us. But also we are not either or, and we are victims of choices that other people have made on our behalf. Systemic choices, policy choices, cultural choices, biases, all of these things that are embedded implicitly or explicitly in our society. What do we do about that? How can we transform those systems? So that's what I love about Noelle's journey into this is she's less interested in which kind of medicine is the quote unquote right kind of medicine, but rather how do we help ourselves, particularly those among us who might be dealing with chronic illnesses where there's no immediate, like you can't just do a surgery and fix it. How do we help ourselves live well and healthy in a system that often conspires to keep us sick? 
and she's been on an incredible personal journey to to help herself manage her own chronic illnesses. Uh, and she's, she's really, in this book, offered what I think is a radical redefinition of what it means to heal and an understanding of the social and political causes underneath illness, particularly chronic illnesses, and how to build a foundation for healing right now, despite those social and political headwinds. So if you, if you or someone in your life has been suffering from a chronic illness and you want some companionship and some acknowledgement and some affirmation and also some ways of thinking about your health and wellness, I highly recommend reading Rebel Healing and this conversation is a great start into that journey. So let's get settled in. And hear what Noel has for us. Noel, hello. Andy. <laughs> so good Hi. to be with you. Yeah, welcome to the Wonder Dome. Thank you. Such a treat to be here. Oh my goodness. I feel like I'm fangirling a little bit. <laughs> I'm totally fangirling too, so it's great. Okay, great. great. Yeah. Um I we did a little meditation before we started. And I've actually never asked this question on record, but for some reason, I'm finding myself really curious about it right now. And if you're like, oh, I don't know, then that's fine. But I, I, in the guided meditation, I invite people to connect to an intention or a purpose or a possibility that got them to this conversation. And, and I'm curious, yeah, like what, what got you here? Why are you, why are you sitting here with me when you could be doing anything else with your precious time? Well, I do really like hanging out with you, um, but <laughs> Fair. Me too. yeah, what came up in the meditation was kind of interesting. Like my brain, I think was like, I'm not going to try to answer this question. I'm just trusting that my ancestors have brought me to this point to do whatever needs to be mm. done. Mm. Mm. Nice. Could you say more about, uh, how you hold a relationship to your ancestors in your in your life and in your in your inner world like it's beautiful say more about that trust and how you how you walk with them sure yeah uh it could be a really long answer that's all right also... we got time <laughs> okay um well i think perhaps this is true for you and some of your other you know guests and listeners too I, one of the most lovely things that has happened in my healing journey over the last 20 plus years, uh, and especially more recently, is really learning to give up control and see that I don't really have control. Because mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I grew up in the DC area with professional class parents and there's and I'm a Capricorn and a three on the Enneagram and just like have always just been like trying to be the best trying to make things happen mm. trying to do the most um trying to just like do 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 and at a and at a high level of excellence um like I do not describe myself as a perfectionist at all actually but like doing too many things doing lots of things trying to make high quality things for other people is something that I've done for a long time and at a, and that 
uh, being somebody with chronic illness that got applied to trying to heal my body as well, you know, like mm. just, just trying to find the right people, trying to find the right answers, trying to figure things out. And as I've given up more and more control and trusted the ancestors, spirit, whatever you want to call it, uh, my life has just drastically improved. Mm. <laughs> things have gotten a lot easier. They've gotten a lot more joyful. Um, especially like, you know, there's things like I'm going to be 39 next month. Um, yes. Jerry's birthday. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And it's like, uh, and I do not have children at this point. And there's, there's been, I've been sitting with this question of like, am I, am I going to have a kid? Am I going to adopt a kid? Am I going to be a parent? Am I going to, you know, be a parent in ways that are not non-traditional? Um, am I just going to be somebody who is like an allo parent in the community? And uh, I think my younger self would have been really stressed out about answering these questions. And now I'm like, the ancestors have a plan. And, you know, the best thing that I can do is is show up and be open and be ready to whatever, you know, whatever's going to happen from mm. that front. And um, that makes it a lot, a lot, that makes life a lot sweeter than being mm. all wrapped up in like, Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing everything I'm supposed to do? Is there more that I need to do to make this happen? You know, that kind of thing. So lovely. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, I try to I try to talk to my ancestors regularly. We I had a chat with a few of them on Halloween because, you know, the thinning of the veil. Yeah. yeah. And just sat at my altar and talked to them and thanked them and cried a whole bunch. And uh, yeah, it was a good, good experience. But I, I try to sort of check in like on a daily basis too. There's so I want to ask you some more about this. I sense in some way it's connected explicitly or implicitly to the book you've recently written, Rebel Healing. And I also want to share maybe, but maybe could I I'll share a response first and then and then see which question I've got like three or four questions about this. I was I was uh, in a conversation yesterday on a podcast and uh, this theme of deep time came up mm. and what does that mean it, it means to me this recognition that we are participating in and we have emerged from processes that have been unfolding over amounts of time that are essentially incomprehensible to the human lifespan mm -hmm. and these forces include and also are deeper and even wider than every human ancestor who has made it possible through their their either conscious response or fearful reaction or you know like whatever was driving them their choices in the face of this vast unfolding of existence that started you know depending on who you ask like 14 billion years ago 14 billion years ago it's like there's something almost comical like lovingly compassionately comical to the <laughs> to the to the like achiever energy in you that's like all right life i'm gonna do this great just mm -hmm. you wait everyone get ready i am in control and like watch watch me go mm -hmm. and and within a certain like shallow time frame there is quite a lot of beautiful 
things that we are capable of creating and producing and engaging with. Mm-hmm. But like on a deep time frame, there's so it's just like, yeah, it's just so there's so much more there. And so I, for me, when you presence your ancestors, that also gets and helps me get in touch again with that reminder of like, there were two people who made me and two people who made each of them. So now you've got four people and then two people who made each of those four people. So now you've got another 16 people and then two again. And you get this like exponential doubling Mm-hmm. until you know many cultures relate to time over seven generations so you're, you've got hundreds and hundreds of people who are literally sta- like stand their lives stand behind your, your life and if you mm-hmm. kept going you just have basically all of the human race all the entire species and maybe some of the other human species that you know exist coexisted with us before whatever happened took them off planet earth so yeah i just thank you for like naming that you have a relationship to that and that we all could have a relationship to that. Mm-hmm. And it might feel to, to the, to the, like, for me that I also have shown up as a type three on the Enneagram. That's interesting. I didn't know that about you, but like to that part of me, it's like, no, I'm so small now, but it's like, it's all right, sweetie. Like you just don't have to work so hard. You can use yeah. all that creativity and fun, but you can play more. Yeah. Cause you know, seven generations from now, you're going to just be one of those, thousands of people who's right. standing behind somebody else's shoulders. So what about what it would be like, as Jonas Salk says, to be a good ancestor. Mm-hmm. And like, I hear you describing yourself as a really good descendant, like thank mm-hmm. you ancestors. But I sense that that also will make you, whether you have biological children or not, a really beautiful ancestor. Thank you, Andy. Yeah. Leila Saad talks about that too, has a whole framework around how to be a good ancestor and I I really love that. I love thinking about that. I mean, for whatever reason, I was thinking about that in high school, maybe because of 9-11 and just like the loss of life around that. And I was just like, I, I, I was thinking about like, what would I want people to say if I died now? Like that's, I don't know, something I've been thinking about for a long time. Mm, mm. And it's uh, the answers become more and more simple, I think maybe year to year. <laughs> um, What's yeah, the answer you- right now? if you're comfortable sharing it or at least the spirit of the answer. I think, I think somebody uh, like, I want to be remembered as somebody who supported other people to love being alive and who love life. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll sign the line on that. But is Noel who is someone who supports people being alive and love being alive? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you and I have sort of, we haven't spent a ton of time together in terms of hours together mm-hmm. in the kind of shallow time that our bodies inhabit, but we've spent some really rich time together. And uh, I really have strong memories of all of them, of the aliveness, in particular, your birthday party that you like, hey, hey, circle of friends, I want to have a birthday party. And, to, and for this party, I want to create a space of really deep connection across a bunch of people who've never, maybe never met before, you know, Mm -hmm. like you two might know each other and my wife and I came and you, you might know and you two, but like, here's this kind of mixed group. That's what I want for my birthday. And I just, it like, among other things for my wife and I was like a beautiful dose of aliveness. Mm. What a gift, what a gift on your birthday to give other people. So thank you for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, we have our friend Ishita Sharma to thank for that too. But yes, <laughs> we got in, we got into the deepage for sure. Yeah, I mean Ish, that's where she lives. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very nice. Could you say a little more about how how you started to come to soften the like I must be excellent belief, and how you started to open into the I'm participating in this gorgeous, like ancestral journey belief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and then maybe following on that, the other question I'm curious about is, is if you could also say more about, you said, and life's just gotten easier and more joyful. And like, I'm, you know, there's something paradoxical that I could, I have even now have parts of me that are a little resistant to like, no, like, no, you actually do have to work really hard. Like you can't just, but I think those parts need to hear like, well, maybe I don't. So if you mm -hmm. could just talk more about how you untangled that or soften that or relax that. And then like what started to become possible. Maybe there's some examples of like, oh, when I stopped efforting so hard, X, Y, and Z started to happen. Sure. Yeah. I'll see some explicit examples come through. I think I'll start by saying, you know, in addition to, um, you know, conditioning that I think all of us on Turtle Island get from capitalism, individualism, um, Protestant work ethic. Um, my mom is an immigrant and, uh, you know, grew up very poor, came to the U.S., built an incredible life uh, with my dad for me and my brother. And, um, and so I have you know, I had that like work really hard thing. And also I think this is like an ancestral burden, but this like pretty deep scarcity feeling. And, and I think, but it also comes up a lot for, for people with health challenges. It's like when you, when you feel scarcity in your health, you start to feel scarcity around money and time mm -hmm. and joy and everything else. But I, I mean, for many years, I was just like, I have to keep pushing as hard as I can, or I'm gonna end up sick and unhoused with no one. Like, just like that was like my driving force hmm. uh, underneath hmm. everything for a long, long time. And, um, and I think, you know, <laughs> I have to laugh a little bit because it feels so like stereotypical wounded healer, but my body just kept resisting that I mean I, I think I've burned out I don't know five six times like I've I've started jobs or projects that I loved worked too hard got sick or got an accident um mo most recently uh you know this this book launch was kind of like a mini version of it but the last kind of big time it happened was um during COVID I uh got the COVID vaccine the first COVID vaccine and had a huge reaction mm. and um I had uh, I had to leave a job that I had just gotten doing racial equity training that I was really excited about, mm. like a month into the training. And um, I think, it, I mean, I was I was just going too hard, you know, the whole like being on back to back Zoom calls when my job went remote, plus coaching, plus moving into this other thing. Like it was just too much. And my body was like, nope, you mm. need to do nothing. And and I was like more laid out than I've ever been like could mm. barely walk mm. could couldn't sit up like couldn't stand like like really you know <laughs> uh just like not very functional and I think yeah. that's what my that's what my body has done again and again and so um and in that time 
that 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 happened actually came after a period of feeling better than I'd felt since I was 15 years old, like 2019. Like I just felt amazing. I was like, I don't know, biking everywhere. So happy, like loved my job. Um, even drank alcohol sometimes, which like I you know normally can't tolerate. I mean, just really like was feeling so well that I was like, I don't even know what to do with myself anymore because all I've ever wanted is to feel better. And now I feel better. And like, like just like almost manic, you know, for like a year and a half. Um, and um, yeah, I'm just coming, coming back to the, the gift in that uh and sort of have experiencing what it was like to feel so good and then being really brought down to being horizontal again gave me an opportunity to really like look and see and tell the truth <laughs> about mm. what i was doing and and heal on a deeper level and mm. i think i have to laugh sometimes i think that you know my ancestors had me write a book because i had to read it so many times in the editing process but I, I had to I, I was reminded of all these things that I had learned and forgotten and you know when I had to work less and you know be sort of more grounded literally uh I was like okay this is you know a good time to come back to the book <laughs> and, and sort of revisited all all these lessons and so that's that's part of it I think um you know, I'm a yoga practitioner for a long time and, you know, had a meditation practice for a long time. And I think like a lot of people, pan the pandemic experience, like kind of like threw everything up in the air in that way. And I found, you know, eventually came back to some, some of those practices, but also found new practices. I found a Qigong practice. Mm. Um, uh, it's a post-Taoist post practice that comes um, from Genevieve Sophia Dao, um, Jing Retrieval that was really has been really life-changing and helping me kind of come back to myself and uh and trust myself and then through that trust the earth the divine the ancestors etc and uh yeah I've just been trying to lean into trusting more in the last I don't know five six years and I've just seen again and again and again that trusting like no, listening to my intuition and trusting that takes me where I want to go mm -hmm. and fear takes me away from where I want to go mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. and I think I've really just gotten to the point where I'm ready to let go of the fear and it's, it's still there yeah. but um you know that being brought to my knees again <laughs> um really it was a good a good wake-up call and a good uh I'm not sure what to say it just really took me there in a different way yeah. uh and i think i think something else that's changed that's really helped that's changed in the last couple of years is um i've had a breakthrough around asking for support and trusting my community which is something i've been working on for almost 10 years but i think it's uh it's it's now something i can do without it feeling like it's like such a scary thing and, I, and I've had some sweet conversations with some friends just being like, okay, let's not do the whole, I'm afraid of being a burden thing. Let's figure this out. Let's figure <laughs> out, you know, yeah. how we're going to support each other. And I've also done things like asked for things I've always wanted and never had, like asking for people to come hang out with me lying down. And, and people have said yes to it. 
And so it's like, okay, maybe I can just ask for what I want and get it. You know, and I've just been met in that so many times in the last couple of years. That's really helped too with the whole trust piece and just, mm. Mm. you know, surrendering to what is. Mm. Gorgeous. I want to underline one thing and see if that's this tracks for you. You know, you said like part of the drive was to not be sick and you kept getting sick from the drive. You know, it's like this fear, the fear of sadly, tragically, sometimes tragicomically, like, and it's, and it's like intense efforts to take us away from the thing it fears. It keeps taking us towards it. Like, I just mm-hmm. see that pattern play itself out so often in my own inner experience and in the work with my clients my beautiful, very strong daughter, who's five and a half, who we've been just doing this beautiful work, like she'll get up and she wants to climb high on the jungle gym. And it's a little scary up high, you know, the ground's far away if you're whatever, three and a half feet tall or something like that. And she kind of paralyzes. And of mm. course, like the the, the par- paralysis up high is the, is the most dangerous thing to do when you're that far off the ground. So we've been doing this really gentle work of like helping her regulate and learn how to breathe when she's scared, learn how to talk to her fear. Like before she climbs, sometimes she'll, I've sort of helped her with this, like, like, where do you feel the fear? And she'll, she did right away. I asked that when I asked that question the first time, she's here and she touched her heart. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, what have you said something like this to fear? Fear, I know you're scared, but I really want to climb up there. Can you just let me do it? And don't worry, Mm. you don't have to do it. And she like took that and, you know, she's been playing with it. And now like sometimes when I give her that coaching, she's like, let me say it in my own words. I'm like, yeah, say it how you need to say it. (laughs) And it just works. You know, she can, if her fear tries to climb for her, she she gets paralyzed and might fall. Mm. If her fear, if her fear is allowed to just like be on her back and her like incredibly strong athletic body and her curiosity can climb for her then she's like right at the top. So I just really want to underline, and I and this is not like a, I, I think I'm really unspooling this because it's so cliche to, you know, say like, there's nothing to fear, but fear itself, you know, like there's this, you know, it's easy to say, but I really want to underline that, that actually that pattern plays out in lots of ways. Your little feet, they're my speaking of, she must've heard me talking about her. Um, in lots of ways, like it's not just fear, right? Like you might want success. Some part of you might be like, when I'm successful, I will be dot, 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 loved, Mm -hmm. belonging. But like paradoxically, you could become, you know, a a part of me wishes this for you, that rebel healing your book, you know, becomes an international bestseller and, you know, you sell (laughs) a million copies and stuff, but then suddenly you know, like I've I've done it. And now you're actually more distant from a lot of people because you're this author and you're mm-hmm. successful. And, you know, the very thing you've been striving so hard for actually, again, like pushes you away from the thing that, that drove you to do it in the first place. And yeah, just that, it's such a sad, like sad paradox about our existence that we all work so damn hard because we, I shouldn't say all, but those of us who have inherited these kind of these beliefs. Mm-hmm. And there's the little one. I'm actually having a, a nice uh, conversation with Noel. Do you remember Noel? 
Okay, I'm gonna pause the recording for a second and, and then you can come in and get something and I gotta I gotta send you back out. Okay, hugs have been distributed to the little ones. We're back in the dome. <laughs> so maybe I'll pat maybe I'll punt it back to you. Like when I underline that kind of paradoxical pattern of like the more we run away, the closer we seem to get, or the harder we push towards, the further away we get. How are you how are you relating to that? What does that bring up for you? Well, I hate to bring us into like total heart gut-wrenching territory, but what it makes me think of is what's happening in Israel and Palestine right now. Mm. Right? I mean, that's just a whole puddle of fear creating exactly the opposite of what people want all the way around. So I think it's a it's a struggle personally and collectively. Yeah. And as you think about, as, uh, maybe as you bring your lens, your healing lens, another thing I heard you say earlier was that by really listening to your body and kind of post this year and a half of kind of almost manic beautifully joyful but like oh I'm so I feel so good you're brought back down again and you said something like and that enabled me to it, when I started listening to that it enabled an even deeper level of healing um I wonder if you could say more about that and feel free to presence your book more explicitly or what you've what you've been learning from that uh, as you've read and reread and reread it in the editing process like how does how does healing fit into this web we're weaving right now hmm. so i i didn't actually explicitly say it this way in the book but when i think about healing i think about it as uh i mean i really want people to define it for themselves first but i think about it as like maybe 30 percent repair and 70 percent transformation and and I feel like I, I think about that at the personal and the collective level. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we can't heal to get back to where we were because where we were created the conditions that created illness or, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and illness being not just physical illness, but, you know, mental illness, you know, disease of different kinds. Um and like on the collective level created, you know, uh, systems and institutions uh, and culture that perpetuates the legacy of uh, genocide, slavery, white supremacy, patriarchy, et cetera. So I think, uh, I think that's where, that's where the healing comes in is healing. Mm. Healing is an opportunity to uh, get at the root cause Mm. of what's of what's ailing all of us and the ways that uh collective ills live in our individual in our individual bodies and mm. i think by healing our individual bodies mind spirit etc we create a more resourced collective that creates more possibility for collective change mm. Mm. i have a i have a question that's going to come in sideways or a inquiry into that what you just said but I also want to share like the, there's a, a email I received recently that kind of annoyed me and 
I didn't, I couldn't quite put my finger on why I was annoyed by it. Um, but now I feel like in this moment, I'm, I'm getting some insight about it. So it's from, from someone in our world, a practitioner, you know, coach and, and I've been really seduced by this kind of thinking before. And there's something to it that feels really, feels there is a true version of it that I resonate with, but it was basically like, you know, the message of the email was like, you are your problem. You are your problem. There's no, there's no world out there. Like whatever's happening in the world is happening in the world and how you respond to it, that that's the problem. So you need to like, go fix that. Because mm. if you don't fix that, I'm using my own words here, but I'm, I think this is what the annoyance is starting to come through. If you don't fix that, then you continue to be the problem and like, hey, that's you. <laughs> like, sucks to be you, huh? See you later. Mm. And and the author of this used the metaphor of soil. Mm. And, and I was like, okay, now, now we're getting into something that I think connects to what you said, which is like, you know, he, he said, you know, seeds can't take root in, in unhealthy soil. So if your soil is unhealthy, in other words, if you have a limiting belief, you need to go clean it up. So your soil is healthy, you know, like don't be a victim. Don't, don't blame outside world, all of that kind of messaging. And I was like, dude. That certainly can be true in a way, but how could you, how can you say that we aren't all in the soil that is yes. our like collective? How can you, how could you, how can you, how could you possibly believe that <laughs> in mm -hmm. a way? Like, like, yes, to your point, if we can do some, some work to heal ourselves, we are in a way kind of yeah, I don't know, I'm going to play a bit with this metaphor. So forgive me if it's clumsy, but like we are in some way, like a little patch of the soil where the, where the like biome, the sort of has gotten healthier. There's more aliveness in that little patch of soil. And if enough of us do that, like on a piece of land, we can see, like we've seen farmers who practice regenerative practices and can take like a little piece of like arid desert, you know, desert land. And like suddenly it's green again. It's like, wow. Okay. So in a sense, it is possible to grow beauty even in, you know, soil that has been like painfully extracted and destroyed. And that little piece of beauty is still in the middle of the desert. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's just this like, it's this sort of like pernicious, you're the problem messaging that uh, I feel like you're offering a much more holistic alternative to a healthier, truer alternative, which is to say, yeah, there's some work you can do at the individual level. And part of what enables that is for you to see the soil, mm -hmm. the, the painfully uh, under nutrient, like low nutrition, unhealthy soil that you've grown up in and how that yeah. lives in you. But also there is just still the soil that's out there. And I, and I just wonder, like, as I presence this kind of paradox that he's kind of making it, no, it's this, or someone else could say, no, we're all victims. It's only this. We don't have no mm -hmm. agency control. There's something in the both together that I, I sense that you're speaking to. Could you pick it, pick that up and play with it a bit? What's coming up for you? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big part of why I wrote the book, because so many healing books sound like that email that you described. 
you know, like you are creating your illness. And if you do these things, you'll get better. And then lots and lots of people do those things and they don't actually feel mm-hmm. any better. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they feel a little bit lighter, but they're still really sick. And um, yeah, I think when, I, I think that that is just an extension of the culture that we are swimming in. And so what I was trying to argue is that we, and what I'm still trying to say all the time is that we do have agency and by working on our little patch of the soil, it's a contribution to the whole, to all the soil, to all the soil. And also uh, I I want to sort of highlight both sides of um, you're not alone. Like it's not, it's not your fault that you're sick, right? Because the soil is sick. Our systems are sick. And, um, and we're still playing out all of these patterns that started from the beginning of Turtle Island becoming the United States of America. And uh, also more than 60% of people in the United States today have at least one chronic illness. So you're also not alone in, in feeling the effects of living in sick soil. And you don't have to heal alone either. And in fact, you shouldn't try to. Mm. Mm. because that's Mm. not how healing works you know healing happens in community and the Mm. part of the reason we are all so sick is because of the isolation because of the individualism because of the the way that we've been told things work which is like there's a problem and it's you and you have to fix it Mm. (laughs) right Mm. like that's part of the problem Mm. and so i think go ahead well for some reason this this is activating in me another variation on that is uh like you're the problem go fix yourself and if you can't that's your fault another variation of this that also is maybe kind of a pull apart in a way but this like like just the other side of the coin is like you're you can't fix your problem at all you need to like go to an expert and the expert will fix it for you Mm-hmm. And you'll do that in a supposedly nice, modern, safe, sanitary hospital. And I have a lot of healthcare workers who are like doing beautiful work. And I really mm-hmm. say this with a lot of respect, but like there's very often not much community in a hospital. Like you're yeah. stuck in this little kind of, in some cases, an actual like bubble, right? Like yep. literally, like there's protocols to ensure you know, infection and stuff, but in this like, or or in a kind of metaphorical bubble and people can only visit you at certain times and it's uncomfortable and there's all these lights and this beeping and like, you're sort of sitting there waiting for the doctor for her to come and tell you what to do. And then that doesn't work either for some people. So, so again, I really say this with a lot of respect for what is possible with kind of acute allopathic medicine with like what we call quote unquote modern medicine, but it is in its own way, another version of like, we're going to isolate you and fix you. And once you're fixed, you'll be fine. And that doesn't work for people too. And I think what your comment really put me in touch with is that both versions don't take into account the interconnectedness that we all thrive in and on. And, uh, you know, that's really important piece that I want to underline. Right, because what makes healthy soil, right? Worms, 
Yeah. Uh, I'm blanking on the word right now for um, like the mushroom connections under the soil. Yeah, the mycorrhizal kind of, you know, network under the soil, the exactly. microbiome, all the like bacteria and, you know, stuff that lives down there, all the little roly poly bugs digging around in there. Yeah, all of it. Like, yeah, the way that the trees connect with each other underground. Yeah. We're learning so much about this. And and I think that's um, that's what we've been separated from as humans. We've been separated from our own webs, our own networks, our own villages. And um, not that, the you know, not to say that, uh, you know, we just need to live in villages again and everything will be fine because that's not true either. But uh, but we need each other. And I think we're understanding this more even on a scientific level, right, with polyvagal theory, where we understand that the nervous system is the most regulated in the state of social engagement, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which like literally means you need other people to be well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's even uh, kind of coming from another angle, a bit more of this, the social psychology angle. There's this study that started in Harvard like 90 years ago and has since like gone on to to spouses and children and descendants and like has studied I don't know how many people but hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of people searching for like what's the differentiator for folks who in their last act of their life in their 60s 70s 80s 90s say like are you happy and if Mm -hmm. they say yes well what's the differentiator and the differentiator Mm -hmm. is at least one and even just one person who they love who loves them back yeah could be a mentor a caretaker a parent a peer a lover a partner uh, a loving child like whatever it is having that is the only differentiator that makes the consistent difference Mm -hmm. so that's like another kind of angle on there's something about the world trying to tell us over and over we actually need each other bumping up against these these stories that like no we need to dominate each other we need to dominate the world earth we need to win we need to be excellent we need to be the best and and i mean i know a lot of really beautifully interrelational people who are also excellent at stuff like mm-hmm. and not so damn stressed out about it like it doesn't you don't have to be stressed and and sick to be excellent you know that's like this mm-hmm. bad byproduct <laughs> <laughs> yeah in fact i think you can be a lot more excellent if uh yeah <laughs> if you have people that are helping you not be stressed yeah. yeah yeah and i think that's one of the biggest challenges for folks with chronic illness is how do you have a thriving social network when you're stuck at home or stuck in your bed mm. or you have to bail on you know every two out of every three social engagements that you're invited to or that you set up um you know that's a really big challenge and so one of the things i talk about in the book is is how do you how do you work with that you know how do you train people to uh how do you train folks to know that 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 that's going to happen and that that's okay and that that you're still worthy of love and that you still love them and that you know Mm. you can still hang right or how how do you find relationships with people online or virtual relationships that are sustaining for you. I mean, one of my closest, sweetest chronic illness friendships is with somebody in St. Louis who I've never met in person. And Hmm. I think it's safe to say we love each other so much. And I feel like we can, we know that we can reach out to, to one another at any time. And um, yeah, I mean, we met sort of like somebody was like, 
somebody referred me to somebody who was like, oh, you need to know this person. And that's how we found each other. But I've I found really incredible buddies through support groups and online support groups. And so I just I just I want people because some people will hear that and they'll be like, oh, well, like, I don't have any people like that sounds nice. But like, I don't know how to connect with people. But I, I I think there's ways. And I think sometimes Maybe we don't start with people. Maybe we start connecting with animals. Maybe we start mm. connecting with mm. rocks or trees mm. or mm. talking to our ancestors. Mm. And then that that gives us a little bit more resource so that we can trust people a little bit more and then be mm. more successful in building human relationships. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Co-regulation with the land has been something I've been running mm. into lately. Mm. Mm. Say more about that. What does that look like for you? um it looks like sitting on rocks yeah a lot of times it looks like sitting on rocks or sitting by the river or hanging out with a tree yeah and just trying to you know see be just be with them and just notice what comes up um and you know I've had experiences where uh, I've touched a rock and felt like I could feel the pulse of the earth and I didn't really mm. understand what was happening, but I've, I've now read about enough other people having a similar experience that I know I'm not completely bananas. Mm. And, mm. uh, you know, sometimes it's just like loving silence, you know, I don't know. I, it just, it just, I think it helps. Um, I was describing it in a conversation with my friend, Jeremy Blanchard, who's also a coach recently as like, it's another access point for like rerouting ourselves into the earth, into the great web of everything. Yeah. I think sitting on a rock, being with a river, being with a tree is 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 one of many access points that we have available. It's beautiful. Yeah, there is there is, although it is at risk and we keep harming it and using it up, there is an aliveness, like there is a life force or forces, depending on how, how we sort of try and put language around it. But there's this aliveness that just is in, it's even in like, you know, you're in this beautiful home at your co-op and I can see these gorgeous wooden doors behind you. And although that is no longer a living tree, there's still some, there's even in that some kind of, for me at least, some kind of aliveness to this object that was shaped into a certain function, but shaped beautifully and well-made. And you can see the grain of the wood and you can imagine how that came to you. Even that Mm -hmm. has, but to go a step further and go actually be with a living tree, which as we just alluded to is not a solitary tree, but deeply connected to all of the other trees in that forest and the mushrooms and everything. It's just like, you can, that aliveness has, is one of our birthrights. We come Mm -hmm. from it. And uh, we've somehow been made to forget it, sadly, or we've been cut off from it. So I'm really appreciating you putting in that reminder that we need each other. We need the land. And uh, there's this book that my partner got from the library. It's called like The Old Rock or something. And it's a cute children's book. But it sort of starts with there's like a, a rock and there's a pine tree and there's a hummingbird and there's a little ladybug. And all the the each of them, the hummingbird, the ladybug and the tree are like, you're always just sitting there, rock. Is that boring? <laughs> you know, the hummingbird's like, I fly over all the world. And and the beetle's like, I can climb to the top of pine tree and see the ocean. And then the pine tree's like, and I dance in the wind. 
And the rock's like, no, I've, I've been all over the world. I started in darkness at the heart of the earth and was spit out mm. by a volcano. And I, and, you know, I've seen the dinosaurs. I've seen the friendly dinosaurs in this era and the scary dinosaurs in this era. And I survived the planet freezing and I was carried along by a, gr- a glacier. And, and now I'm in this spot where I have mm. a pine tree who dances in the wind and a mm. hummingbird who shares stories of the world and a beetle who walks across my back. It's a really nice spot. And like the tree and the bird and the beetle are like, dang, you're right. This is a really nice spot. And it's just, it's <laughs> like, just you sharing your engagement with a rock, like that rock is the pulse of the earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know that I've gotten to this point yet, but my, my hope is that in being in relationship with the land more, co-regulating with the land more, I will also have a better understanding of what the land needs from me and what Mm. the land needs Mm. from us and the sort of engaging in reciprocity that way. Mm. So it's not just like a me taking from the land kind of thing. Yeah. I I will say though, I have some sense. I'm curious to hear your, your sense of this, but there's something, there's something right on that edge uh, between taking and giving between passive and active where like there's this tree near where I live that I'm not sure if it was a lightning strike or a fire, but it's like scarred Mm -hmm. burnt part of it's burnt off, but it's still like so alive. And there's something about that tree that really speaks to me. Like when I was born speaking of like of illness, you know, this, like I had to go through surgery because I had this, like, I couldn't, my stomach was pinched shut and I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't eat food. I was literally like starving to death. And mm-hmm. I, so I carry this really wicked scar. So I feel this like affinity to the tree mm-hmm. and its presence gives me life. And every time I see it, like, yep, tree hugger alert, I hug it, you know, I'm like, yep, I'm going to hug you. But I also, and this could just be me projecting and imagining, but there's some sense I feel like of like, I respect you tree and I see you and and when I hug it here's a little of my life energy back to you and my mm-hmm. respect my just my respect to you maybe even like even that is an act of in a way of very modest generosity to just I honor you. Yeah, agreed. I really love imagining you in the tree being like cousin. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I'm just like <laughs> you're going to be, you know, unless something happens, you're going to be standing for 50 or a hundred more years. My body's, my body's in the soil contributing ideally to other trees growing up, mm-hmm. you know, like in that way we could, can really, I have really gotten in touch with like, there is a version of just being alive and dying that is a contribution to to the, to all life. Mm-hmm. Well said. We only have about uh, maybe five or ten minutes left. You've written this book. You've released it as as you alluded to a bit. As with any project, there's a version of it where you're pushing too hard, and it kind of can be draining, but like in this moment on November 10th, Friday, November 10th at like 2.15 in the afternoon, how are you holding your relationship to the book? What are you, 
what do you wish for it? What is it doing for you? What do you hope that it's doing for others? What, what do you want to say about that project? You've already we've already touched on it a couple of times, but just say a bit more about what it is for you now to have this book in the world and and what you're hoping for as it gets out there. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that question. Well, there's certainly an enormous sense of finishing and relief mm. because I I worked on it on and off for so many years and it was kind of always in the back of my head. And so it feels so good that that's off my plate. <laughs> yeah. it, feel, yeah. it, it feels a little bit like in 2019 when I was feeling so well, sort of like, oh, wow, what do I do now? It's kind of like, oh, well, that's now that that's off the mm. never ending agenda. <laughs> you know, what, what, uh, you know, what can, what can take up the space? And I, and I'm not there yet because, you know, promoting a book is, is a whole thing in itself Yeah, as I'm learning. Uh, and it feels, it feels really sweet. I mean, people talk about it as, you know, birthing a book baby and your first book is like your first child. And uh, I felt, I've, I felt that, I mean, I don't think it's the same as having a human baby by any means, but I, I feel, I understand why people say that now. Yeah. And yeah. something that I didn't anticipate or, well, I won't say I didn't anticipate it, but that I didn't really let myself think about was how it would land with people and how people would feel would be affected by it. And uh, I've had some really just incredible stories that people have shared with me about how the book has impacted them. Um, I was I was sharing some copies of the book with people in this herbal medicine apprenticeship that I'm in. Hmm. And somebody who I've known through that for the last year and a half asked if I would sign the book and said, you know, can I, I just want to give you a hug for writing this. You know, she's somebody, she, her and her son have been dealing with long COVID mm. stuff and she, they've really been through it. And we just held each other and cried mm. for a minute because mm. I think, mm. I think people are feeling really seen by it. Mm. And I feel like it's, um, I might get a little emotional talking about I'm, it now. I'm feeling I, a little bit right now too. So yeah, it's all good. Yeah. I, I think that, that uh, it, it, I wrote it in part as a gift to the community, to our community, and as a love letter to our community, to so many of us who feel invisible or, you know, who literally have invisible illness and so many people don't know and don't understand. And um, yeah, so I think the book is like, you know, there's like a little bit of fuck you energy in it, but it's mostly like a That's love the rebel part. <laughs> well, yeah. And just, yeah. I, I'm trying to strike a balance between saying like, you know, I don't want people to feel like they can just like, I'm like, I'm giving them permission to just like be in victim mindset forever. But I'm also trying to say like, this shit's really fucked up and mm. it's really hard <laughs> and you're doing amazing. Mm. And, mm. and you need to know that, uh that like you are part of an amazing community of people mm. right like all of us who are in pain and sick and still get up every single day and take care of our kids and try to do good things in the world and try to take care of the land you know like it's a big deal it's a really big deal and i i it, it's felt nice to 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 celebrate that with other people and to be in that with other people and um, I don't think that the book itself is necessarily saying anything that hasn't been said before, but 
but I think the way that it's packaged and who it's speaking to doesn't hasn't existed until now. Mm. Like mm. like the the it really being for I mean I think it's it's got a much broader application and that's why you and I are talking. But because it was written for people with chronic illness, um, you know, it's just there's just like a hole in the in the chronic illness book world. <laughs> mm. There's like a lot of mm. memoirs and there's a lot of how to heal books and there's a lot of really gaslighty how to heal books. And this was this was kind of something a little bit a little bit different. And so in terms of what I hope happens now, I mean, I hope that it helps a lot of other people feel seen. I hope that people read it in community with other folks. And the book has uh, a lot of prompts in it, um, you know, writing prompts, questions for people to ask themselves. I hope that people do that in community with other people. I've already heard about, you know, a few people organizing book clubs or oh, reading nice. groups for it. Yeah, which is super sweet. And I mean, my my bigger intention is that we have a wider conversation about healing in in America, on Turtle Island and beyond. Like, because like, like so much of what's happening in the world, so much of the violence that's happening in the world is because of how traumatized we all are and intergenerational trauma. And, um, you know, I hope that this is part of, you know, what's becoming a growing conversation about how we interrupt those cycles and really, and really shift, you know, shift into something different. Like, cause we are not going to survive the climate crisis with the same government structure that we had that created it, you know, Mm -hmm. or with the same cultural Mm -hmm. ideals that we had that created it. Mm -hmm. And that's just one example, you know, we're not going to get to a point where we're not, um, you know, where the rest of the world is mired in war and we're just selling everybody weapons all the time. Like, we're not going to get out of that cycle from the place where we started it. Yeah. So, like, that's, I hope that this this it, this book is a small part of uh, the, you know, the the wider web of things that, that supports that transformation. Gorgeous. I sometimes ask people what their fiercest hope is or what they're, what they want to say in closing. And I just feel like there it is <laughs> that I just really, that feels like a, a beautiful place to land that we need to start talking about these things and feeling about these things. And uh, what did you say earlier? Like it's 30% repair, but also it's like 70% transformation. Yeah. That there's some work, some repair we need to help each other with as as we deal with this pain, but also like what then and what then might be new ways of relating to each other, new social structures, new, new government systems, new, lots of things. So thank you for speaking to all that, Noah. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. And I think part of one thing that I said in the book that I just want to highlight too is, is people sick and disabled people, I think uh, as part of a broader group of people that are really, been through it for lack of a better word um can help be sort of doulas for the transformation that we need because we've you know like i, I shared a little bit about my own experience we've had to we've had to learn how to trust at a deeper level we've had to learn how to connect again or maybe for the first time we've had to figure out how to survive in systems that don't care about us getting well that don't care about our well-being just to survive. And we've had to sort of claw our way to finding some joy mm. in a situation that's really challenging. And I think that gives us like a little bit of a leg up and and a lot to share 
like so much to share with other people. So I'm hoping that that's part of what happens too, is that more and more sick and disabled folks see themselves as um, resources and maybe leaders in the transitions and the transformations that need to happen. Gorgeous. If folks want to read the book, where should where should they head? Where they where can they learn more about this? Yeah, so it's available anywhere the books are sold online, Amazon, Bookshop, Barnes and Noble, etc. It's uh can be ordered through almost any bookshop and library, and then it's it is actually on the shelves in some bookshops and some libraries. Uh, I have some of those listed on my website, but yeah, googling what's Rebel it? Healing will take people to bunch of different options. Nice. And what's your website? It's my name, noeljenka.com. Great. We'll definitely include that in the show notes. We also are uh, launching a bookshop.org page for the Wonder Dome. Bookshop.org is a wonderful alternative to online book buying compared to shopping at at, uh, that big box, that horrible, destructive online store uh, Mm -hmm. whose name I won't mention. Um, so we'll make sure to link directly to the bookshop.org uh, version of Rebel Healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks, Noel. Thanks for saying yes to that invitation from your ancestors to stay with this book, to, to shepherd it into existence. And it's just a beautiful offering. And I'm so glad we got to jam a bit about it. This is a real treat. Me too. Thank you so much, Andy. Such a pleasure. Yeah, yeah so good to be with you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for tuning in to The Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing and engineering services from Jim Serqua at Sump Pump Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find The Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others. Consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.